0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey
1: everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within podcast. Today we're going to cover... The South America Waterfall Slam in the rearview mirror, now that it's it's over, and I've got the two guys that were with me every step of the way while we were in Argentina and Peru. That's uh, Lee Vanderbrink and Justin Fabian. So, Justin and Lee were the field producers on uh, both trips, so we spent, man, 15, 20 days together down there, bouncing between Argentina and Peru, two distinct, different locations on on how the hunts happened in, in both both spots so we've had a couple of followers send in questions and we're going to kind of use those as as the guideline which i'm sure with with us three going will lead down quite a few rabbit holes how are you guys doing today
2: doing good doing very good so lee
1: is located in michigan and then justin down in iowa um deer season approaching for both of you guys i'm sure you guys been prepping for that no, lee? no. lee's yeah. a big hard no <laughs> justin has been prepping since last year probably
3: yeah, we learned a few lessons last year.
1: You So you got a new, <laughs> not a new scope on the old muzzleloader, huh?
3: Yeah, put a new loophole on the muzzleloader. Actually, uh, hunted with it yesterday, and I'd be hunting right now if we weren't recording. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's probably
1: perfect weather down there, too.
3: Yeah, it's uh, 18 degrees with a real feel of 8 right now. And Boys. I had a, had a big one in my food plot behind the house at uh, 5 o'clock this morning. Oh,
1: it's a little bit early to get out there, so... Until he yeah. shows up on camera right now while we're recording, then you don't have anything to be mad about.
2: <laughs> okay, so if, if Justin leaves right away, then we know yeah, why. Then we
1: don't just hear a muzzle muzzleloader go off off the deck. We're, we'll <laughs> know exactly might, why.
2: Might
4: happen.
1: Might happen. <laughs> All right, back on South America Waterfall Slam. So this was um, – when I set this up and started the planning for it, it was actually – at the tail end of the North American waterfall slam, because at that time I was getting a lot of questions from partners and, and followers and, and everybody at WTA of what, what are we going to do next? Like you, we did the Upland slam, I guess back up one more. We did the, the world Turkey slam in a single season. Then we did the Upland slam, then North America waterfall slam. And it just seemed like the natural transition would be to, to hop and do some international ones. Um, especially because if none of those like none of these have been done before, but the international ones really had just been less on on highlighting everything as a whole per continent or per country or anything like that. It's always if you look up Argentina waterfall, it's it's a single trip down there. Um, not really highlighting all the species, but more volume stuff. Um, you know, with us having a, a trip planned earlier that year going to Argentina to big game hunt, it just kinda seemed like the natural spot to to pick South America so then as I was going through same thing I did in, in North America you take all the all the species that an SCI would have or or any of the other groups and you start kind of going across those on which ones are still huntable because um, some countries don't allow waterfall hunting Uruguay uh, Bolivia and Brazil doesn't allow any hunting but you start taking those off on what species are still in the countries that are that you allow hunting still, and it kind of landed right on Peru and Argentina because those two countries covered all the species. And we ended up with 20 species on the list. Um, and how it broke down is there's 13 in Argentina and and seven in Peru. Um, up until last year, I had never hunted in Argentina for big game or waterfall. So it was definitely going to be a learning experience, both on the travel in and out, um, of both countries, but then Peru, um, really there's not not a lot of, of documented hunting trips that have happened for big game or waterfall hunting in Peru. So that was going to be a a lot of pre-planning to get everything lined up before we went. So question number one that, that we had had sent in and I'm going to, I'm going to spend this one to, to you, Lee and Justin from a field producer standpoint, how did you guys prep for these trips? Like Argentina being the first trip, what did you guys prep, knowing what it was going to be like? Justin, having been on the North America waterfall slam, like what? What did you guys do different than a normal big game trip or somewhere else that we would go?
2: Well, funny, funny you say that. Um, I had no idea what to expect um, <laughs> with the South America slam. I know Justin gave me some pointers because he uh, ventured around the, uh, the North America with you, but um, you know, as you said earlier, we we were there earlier in the season hunting big game and then a couple of weeks i mean i feel like it was only a couple of weeks later we were back down there for waterfall but you know I, i've never done that type of waterfall hunting before so everything that i based off was what i've done in the states and in canada so i basically more or less i packed way too much stuff and really went into it expecting like you know, like birds flying in, like your normal waterfall. But I was not expecting to sh- to see the the sheer numbers that we saw down there, and it like everything happened so fast. Hey, everybody,
1: it's October, and a lot of people aren't thinking about tags, but there is one more important one at the end of the month, October 31st. The state of Wyoming has their point only, so this is one if you're planning ahead and you're thinking about going to Wyoming, This is a good one to go out and get that point. Make sure to visit the WTA website or give the team of consultants in the office a call. And I do believe the trips were pretty back to back because I had not lost any of my Argentina weight from the first trip (laughs) before we re-upped and went down for the second trip. For anybody that has not hunted in Argentina, there is no lack of food, desserts, or certain beverages, uh, red wine being one of them, but really any beverage down there that you want.
2: And that's for breakfast, like a three-course meal for breakfast, like desserts, for lunch and then just a massive one for dinner to put you to, in a coma I think, at night.
1: I think finally, just about, what are we, eight months after, I'm, I'm starting to get back into my fighting weight now.
2: <laughs> I cut it on for deer season, stay warm. Listen, I,
1: I just saw you up in Saskatchewan in a picture and uh, your plate was heaping, heaping over in that picture. I picked you up in the yep. background.
2: It was Thanksgiving, so it was Thanksgiving. Oh, it was Canadian Thanksgiving. That's why. Big turkey That's why. All right. All right. That makes sense. Yes. I had an excuse to go overboard. Okay. But, but yeah, I mean, as far as Argentina, I had, I honestly had no idea what to expect going into that trip. Um, Like I said, I've done water filming waterfall all over in the States and Canada, and it is way different down south.
3: Yeah, it was I guess for me, uh I don't know this one felt a little more a little more rounded out like going into it. Like I kind of probably felt last year with North America, how Lee felt this year going into South America, where it was like we knew there was gonna be a you know, a lot of shooting. We had we had a story to tell, but when I first started with you on the North American slam, it was like let's just make sure we get Someone do birds, someone do stories, someone do, you know, be consciously recreates and sound bites and all that stuff. And I think after, I mean, to compare it to them, probably like in Mexico, like when we did the Fulvis shoot or when we got to, um, honestly, Greenland was pretty, pretty heavy shooting. Uh, Nothing like Mexico, but it was a lot more shooting than I expected. So I think like for me going into this one I in my mind I had more of a plan of like of how to produce the story and like get get more of the birds focus on birds have one person on birds one person on you like interviews talking gun loading you know the walking the the sexy shots and I don't know for me that that's the way it broke down in my head the best was just split everything up and then split the split the tasks between the two of us
1: yep and as planning, so like when when we looked at it from a production standpoint going into this, the North America Slam. I mean, shoot, Justin, what we have, we had like sixteen or seventeen different locations throughout the the fall and winter that we bounced to, and and yep. when you bounce that many locations, that kind of tells the story along the way, like all the travel, what's involved, the long the long yeah. long nights of driving through the middle of the night to get to the next location, to wake up at four a.m. and and that kind of stuff. Argentina, a little bit different because we really only hunted two spots in Argentina. There wasn't a lot of travel in between. And there's so many differences like so many species that in the first location that came in and it's tough to identify just cause of the volume of shooting that happens really picking apart the story, um, was the tricky part on that because there wasn't any of the movement that was involved. It was the story of the birds that were in the location, um and kind of their history which we kind of pulled out and i think we did a pretty
3: pretty darn good job at that um yeah that's you hit the nail on the head i mean and maybe this is i don't not to take away anything from it but for me that uh that anticipation that like is he gonna do it you know factor it wasn't the same for me as it was in north america because like north america honestly was it was a challenge and South America had its own challenges, but I think South America was just like a, okay, how long do we have to stay here to finish this?
1: And I, I think you, you're probably spot on, on, on that. So I always get asked, well, how, how tough was the North America waterfall slam? How tough was the North America upland slam? How tough was South America? And to be honest, South America, you, you really hit it. There's so many birds there I felt it wasn't a matter of if I was going to do it because the season's long and we did all this at the beginning, it was more of, okay, do we have to come back to Argentina twice or do we have to come back to Peru twice? Um, that was really the, that was really the push because there are, there are no shortage of any of the species of birds anywhere. It was just the, Hey, do we have to spend six days here, or do we have to spend fifteen days here? Because one of the days along the way, we're going to get it. Now, if we spent fifteen days there, I may have came out looking at two hundred and eighty pounds by the time <laughs> we were done with it. But that was that was really it. Um,
3: yeah. So you know, like the knob, like the knob build duck. You know, we started on that in Peru thinking it was going to be a slam dunk one yep. day deal, and we spent two and a half days on
1: it. Yeah, but it was still one of those things. Like you could see them every day. Right. So it was to the point of, okay, we only had so many days on this trip. If we were going to, if we were going to run out of time on this trip, we would have got back to the States instantly, just started working on the next time we were going for a knob bill and, and we would have got down that that was the only duck. And we just would have stayed there a week or two weeks until we eventually got one. Like yep. that, that was the planning on the North America. There were so many species and there were migrating and seasons were shorter. So you had seasons stopping and closing and, and North America closed. Well, now you've got Mexico, but there's some ducks that don't migrate down to Mexico. So if you don't get those before January 31st, then then you missed your mark. Um, with the King Eider, Like we got lucky to get into Greenland. So there was a whole bunch of stuff that went along the way. The Argentine and Peru one, for anybody that's looking to go, Like I've never duck hunted anything like it before. Argentina, the amount of shooting that happens and the amount of birds that are in the air unmatched. Like, it is, it is unmatched shooting. Like, that, that's the unique part that I – at least the, what yeah. I took away is, man, that is – I wouldn't say, like – everybody said, well, is it the best place to waterfall hunt? Yeah, it's great. It's mass shooting, high volume, awesome species that are colored up, and they're doing it. They're coming in at 15 yards cup. Then you get ones going left to right. Well, like, it's a shooter's paradise. I wouldn't say it was the best waterfall hunt because best – like I've been on some great sea duck hunts. I've been on, on duck hunts to where you only shoot one, like that canvas back hunt in Georgia. Like that was a great one too. So they're all, they're all great in their own way. Argentina is just special because you know, when you go out in the morning and you know, when you go out in the afternoon, you're going to be in ducks, you're going to be in different species of ducks. And you're going to be in high volume shooting a ducks. You're not going to go out there and get skunk. Like that's, that's the beauty part. Yeah.
2: And, and you're going to be in them fast. I remember the first morning that we were in Argentina I literally put the camera. It was the first afternoon, I think, actually. Yep. We showed up in the morning, hunted the afternoon. I put the camera on you to start talking, and then next thing you know, mid-sentence, you started shooting ducks. <laughs> yeah, it was, and, and then 30, uh,
1: 38 minutes later, it was over. And I was like, what just happened? <laughs> exactly. We were in Michigan like 20 hours ago. What what just happened? And we got, what and was it, look- six species the first day? And we're like, oh, we're almost half done.
2: All right. Yeah, and so I, I didn't know a um a, a duck from a, a swan at that point in my life so yeah. <laughs> i was i was flinging the camera around in every single direction just kind of spraying and praying more or less with the camera like holy cow what is happening right now like there's there's birds everywhere flying and to, to be able to capture that on camera i mean i to me i think that is the hardest thing to capture on film is a like a good true duck hunt because i mean those birds, you got. You said you got some that are like just doing it perfect mm-hmm. and like just make awesome shots for video, and then you got some that are just like whizzing past your head at 300 miles per hour, going left or right. Like to get that on camera and, like you said, to to build that story around it, I thought that was was a much harder challenge than I thought it was going to be.
3: Yeah, kind of like the red the red shoveler whistling by like unexpectedly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one, four, that's four why thousand. you got
1: two guys. <laughs> one guy's gonna be ready. The other guy's just gonna be ho humming in the back.
4: <laughs>
1: right so yeah, yeah so, absolutely so how we set up on this is lee was always with me in the blind and then justin was usually tucked away somewhere with the long lens where justin was focused on getting birds in the air that's why when you watch the series and you're like wow like look at that clip of of a duck coming in and landing on the water or, or slow motion coming through in in the shot pattern the only way to do that successfully is to have two guys and really focus on Lee was capturing everything that I was doing in the blind and getting over the shoulder. And Justin was focusing on the birds. Now the difficult thing about in Argentina is when you had birds come in, you had groups of, I mean, up to 15 to 20. So when Justin was, some he would go wide, some he would be able to go tight because obviously he doesn't have any idea which bird looks closest to me or which one looks like the best shot opportunity for me that I'm going to focus on. Um, but, man, I, I thought the whole thing in Argentina turned out great by the time it was over. Um, as I planned for this, obviously, all I had heard before was it's not like North America. There's going to be high-volume shooting in a single location. So for me, I, like in my head, I automatically translated that to Mexico so I could get ready to Sonora Sinaloa. It was going to be like those types of hunts. Um the one difference for me is to be honest Argentina is kind of a pain in the butt to get your gun and ammo down and there's only so much ammo you can travel with on a plane so the four boxes of shells that I got down there I'd have dusted through those in that first afternoon Um, and Peru is extremely tough to get a gun permit now because you actually, whoever's on site has to go into an office there for me. Like if I was trying to bring a gun to Peru, I would have to fly to Peru, go to the office with the outfitter or representative to get my gun permit. Then I would fly back to the U S then I would fly back down and it's not guaranteed I'd get that. So Peru, obviously we, we just set up to use Angelo, the outfitters, um Benelli that he had in camp same thing in Argentina we just set up to use the shotguns that were in Argentina and then the the shells there was no way that I could travel with enough so we used the shells that that were down there for that part of it now as we move along like what do you guys from a filming perspective what was the biggest challenge that you guys had either in Argentina or Peru Uh, I think
2: it's what you said earlier I from a filming perspective, I think it's just, uh, I'm trying to, like, you, you're always wanting to get that perfect shot, you know, that, that bird center frame, cupped up, uh, see the wad coming in, um, impact shot, crashing down of the water, and just the sheer volume of birds that were coming in at once and trying to pick off which one you were going to shoot and try to be at the right angle, because, um, I mean, birds are coming from every direction, i thought that was the biggest challenge um you know you run into your your storyline challenge that you get on every trip and like you said where it's we were in only two spots in argentina so you're trying to build a story around that without travel or anything like that and you're going to the you know just a couple different i mean water holes throughout the the ranch that we hunted and um so that that's pretty tough around but i mean all in all i think you know, getting those beauty shots of those birds flying in, knowing which one you're going to shoot and just like you always set your expectations high. And at the end of the day, you, you, you do better than what you think you did. But in the back of your head, you're like, dang, I wish I had some more of like these shots or birds really slow motion coming in and getting that impact shot. But to me, that was my big, my biggest challenge of that trip is just, it was a bad problem to have because having so many ducks coming in at one time
3: yeah i would i would echo that too and i think for me like what was always in the back of my mind which lee what you said is is not wrong by any means and it was you just never know where to look you know you're constantly changing framing focus exposure everything and like so fast but i'm in the back of my mind i'm thinking okay we've got to produce digital episodes for T for YouTube. We got linear episodes for TV. And then my biggest challenge was keeping in mind like the cinematic stuff and knowing there had got to be a film produced out of this at the end of it all too. like three. If, if you shoot for, if you shoot for linear, you're going to get enough for digital. But in doing that, there's got to be a little bit of a difference in some of your shots. I think to get that, to really make a film what a film needs to be. You can't just recycle that that same episode and expect to see like to convey the message you want to you convey in a film. So there was still that like, OK, what are my what are the sexiest shots? Like, let's let's shoot this specific walk up or like loading your gun or whatever the case was, like trying to pick out those particular moments that were little little drivers for the film that's coming up, too. Yeah, and, and trying to
2: find those moments in, in right. the time of all the ducks going crazy, you know, uh, yeah. like the, like first, is it the black duck, that the one that flies really fast in the morning? Yeah, the
1: blackhead. Blackhead?
2: Yeah, the blackhead. Uh, so that one, you know, you're trying to get that shot and try to build up the story around that because, you know, like I mentioned, they told us that that was going to be one of the harder ducks to get, and then you— shot it on, like, was it day two or three? I
1: think it was day three, morning of day three.
2: Morning of day three, uh, which they were actually, like, they, I feel like they were trying to be a little secretive about it, but I feel like they were very concerned about that, getting that one um, Mm -hmm. done. But, um, yeah, that those birds fly low and they fly fast, and it's like, as soon as it gets legal shooting, like, you have to be popping those right away. And so we're trying to build a story around that, show that, um, through film and also, you know, get the get the shot on cameras at the same time too. Yeah, and get Mark to slow down long enough to talk about it. Listen, <laughs> when the shooting starts, buddy, it starts. Okay,
1: when the shooting starts, it yeah. Starts. If anybody ever
2: hunts with Mark, um, it's he likes to shoot his gun. He needs, there's <laughs> yeah. no let me talk about this for a second. It's like oh,
3: duck banked. And then we're right Mark back. needs one of those like those hot mic setups like that you see in the football. just just talking in the helmet the whole time
1: (laughs) just talking in the helmet as I'm doing stuff
3: yep exactly yeah
1: so as as we look at the as we look at the list so there were 20 on there and we like we put 20 and you get a question every once in a while like the Bahama pintail in Peru all the research I I could tell is the Bahama pintail is the same as the white cheek pintail in Argentina so we did we did get into a couple Bahama pintails and and kind of as you watch the digital episodes we we talk about that um but yep. generally we had 20 species like from a filming perspective what was the hardest one to capture of the 20 from your guys's perspective like was it one of the ones in peru in the mountains or was it one of the ones that was it that black-headed duck early in the morning
3: <sighs> Boy. honestly like the, i think that blackhead i mean correct me if i'm wrong here but when you shot that, I'm guessing you didn't even know you that was a blackhead like when you pulled up on it. it uh, identified it once it was floating and we had enough, you know enough light to actually see what it was once it was down. But did you know?
1: So what the guys told me is when it's legal shooting light and we give you the thumbs up when there are ducks that are whistling past fast and low, like I would I would compare it almost to a teal flying but a wood duck timing for anybody that's yeah. gone on just a wood duck hunt like the wood ducks generally if you're if you're like I remember Justin when we hunted in Florida last year with Billy like those yep. wood ducks flew like 3 minutes before legal light and up to 2 minutes after yeah and then they were and then it was done they were done they, they were, were done, done. flying that that was it so i would compare it to that but at teal speed and teal height so they basically said when we give you the thumbs up anything that's flying low try to shoot even though you can't really identify it there's a good chance that one of those is going to be a black-headed duck. Yeah. And, so and you guys know with me you just got to tell me once. Right.
2: <laughs> so like, That's why so, I'm staying I'm standing behind you wide just filming the entire time. Yep. And, it's, <laughs> yeah,
1: and and We'll get it. So like legal light in that day was overcast too like there's some dark moments to even though it's legal light, like here in the U S even when there's okay, it's legal light. And you're like, man, it's still pretty dark outside, but you get ducks flying early and there. It's like, okay, the only chance we're going to have at a, at a black headed duck is to do this early shooting. And this was the second day that we had gotten set up really, really early, been ready and then started doing it. And I just remember one of the guides when there was, there was a group going right to left. There were two groups in a row and I dropped one out of the first group and one out of the second group. And Maxie's like, I think one of those are a good chance of being a black-headed duck. But at that time, it was still dark and there were birds flying. So I think it was like 45 minutes later. (laughs) You were still shooting. I was still shooting. I was like, hey, we'll just keep going. Maybe we'll get a couple more. (laughs) And I think it was 45 minutes later when I finally got the binos out of my bag and glassed up. And now at this point, I'm like, man, I've never seen a black-headed duck in person before. I've seen pictures of them, but I'm looking at this and you get the, the, of course, it's belly up. And you're like, man, I think that's one. And then you wander out, and you, you pick it up, and you're like, yeah, this is a black-headed duck, Drake. That's awesome. And you get yep. it. But like that was one of those anticlimactic, because you had to like they only fly early. And I was like, well, is there any chance of glassing them up and then doing a spot and stalk if you get them on a small pond? And they're like, mm, yeah, no. They go into the reeds. They're one of the ducks that go right into the reeds, and you hardly ever see them midday. I'm like, oh, well, that takes that, that aspect out of them for actually being able to film them and see them in light. <clears throat> so you go to that early shooting which, which worked out good. Um, like if I look at the list of 20, that blackheaded was by far, I think the hardest in Argentina, like we had to move to go after the Brazilian duck, but that was literally just because there was a cold snap a couple weeks before we got there and, and they moved out. Then ironically, we get back to the States. And I think it was like 14 days later, I was getting messages of all the, the Brazilian that were back right where we were at. So that was just a, a fluke weather thing. And it wasn't like, as soon as we moved, I mean, shoot, we, we moved and we got set up that afternoon. It was like seven and a half minutes later, they were coming cup down into the pond we were hunting.
2: It was literally the first bird that we saw. And
1: yeah, saw, yeah, and saw in volume.
3: We were setting up a blind and one landed. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Those, those are very
1: yeah. distinct. And they're like, when we were in the first location, Maxine and everybody was trying to explain what they look like. And they just kept saying, when you see one, you'll know it. Well, not mm-hmm. having seen one, I'm like, huh, I wonder what that means. And then you see a duck and I'm like, I wonder if that was it. But no, after seeing a Brazilian a Brazilian teal and their wing colors, you, once you see it once, you definitely know what's going on. Hey guys, are you into keeping your whitetail herd healthy and strong? Go check out Buck Bourbon and their full line of mineral and attractants. Personally, my favorite is 110 proof because I've had some great memories and great deer taken over top of it in the state of Kentucky. Born from bourbon, field-tested, wildlife-approved, check them out at buckbourbon.com. Hey everybody, I've been partnered and working with Bass Pro and Cabela's now for a long time. They're your one-stop shop for anything outdoors. Personally, I use them for all my camping and backpack needs for all my backcountry trips. Make sure to check them out at basspro.com or cabelas.com. Leopold offers the best optics in the game, bar none. I personally have their Santium binos and never go to the field without their Pro Guide spotting scope. I've got a Mark V on all my rifles, and also don't forget they've got some awesome eyewear as well. For more information, visit Leopold.com.
4: Yeah, um,
3: I guess I'll rewind a little bit. Answer your question. I get the hardest thing to produce for me. I think was was the the black-headed duck, not knowing which one it was. Like knowing that's what we were getting right then and there. Like we had the same instruction you did. We heard the same heard the same speech in the morning. So it was like, okay, well we're pushing. We're pushing for camera light as it is, but this is when we have to shoot them. We, we're not hundred percent sure which one it's going to be, so let's just film it all. And then I think after that, it would have been anything up in the in the Andes at the end. Yeah, like, just so, having to physically physically yeah. like having to perform up there, like especially the first day when we while went you're front, puking, yeah, <laughs> while, while I was puking, like going from sea level that morning to fifteen thousand feet by three o'clock that afternoon that was that was horrible i mean it was was an aggressive one yeah imagine going imagine going to work like with the worst hangover you've ever had and trying to do your job like that's exactly what it felt like so it's a
2: great (laughs) analogy that is that is
1: so in in peru um how it worked in peru is we landed so the plan was to hunt coastal for a couple days before we went up to the mountains and knowing like It's a time period on the hunt. You only have so many days to come in because the outfitters got the next group and so forth. And there's only one outfitter in Peru. Um, And the coastal hunt was was extremely cool because I've never seen cinnamon teal in volume like that. Hundreds of thousands of cinnamon teal. And and I don't know if anybody watches my videos, but I love a cinnamon teal. There's something about cinnamon teal that, that get it going when you can see them flying in. So you hunt these coastal marshes, which is you're literally butted up next to the ocean. And they have these freshwater little ponds or marshes right off the ocean, usually a couple hundred yards away. And, and what the ducks do is they bounce back and forth from the ocean, and then they come in and get to the freshwater. So you're hunting these areas, and it's just cool because you're going through, and, and Peru is, I guess from my perspective, not what I was expecting. Like it's just yep. desert, and then anything that's irrigated is green, but other than that, it's, it's very deserty along that area. So you drive, and all of a sudden you get to these marshes, and then you're doing um, cinnamon teal shoots in volume. And, and it was one of those things, yeah, we had, we had already got into cinnamon teal in Argentina. But being in Peru, we just had to capture those moments and do those hunts. And then the knob duck was the other duck along the coast that, that was new that we needed to focus in on. Took us two and a half days. We eventually eventually got a couple knob bill ducks, which is an awesome, awesome duck. If you guys are listening, haven't seen the video, go check that out. Or if you just haven't seen a picture of one, truthfully Google it, knob bill duck, and you'll be like, Wow, awesome duck. It's almost the size of like a, a lesser goose. Um, but they That's do tend duck. The big duck. But they do tend to be in the center of the water, which makes waterfall hunting tough. And it's not like they make a knob bill duck decoy. So you gotta do some crazy things with trying to set up on on narrow channels to where they fly through, which is what we eventually did and, and got that duck. So then uh, in Peru, there were seven species, six of which were in the mountains. Um, and then the knob-billed duck being the the new one. And then the Bahama pentail kind of being like an additional, even though it's a white cheek, we, we did get into those along the coast. So we we're at basically sea level of 350 to 550 feet. The transition day Consisted of us waking up at 4 a.m., leaving at 4, maybe waking up at 3.40, leaving at 4, pounding out a good, man, five-and-a-half to six-hour drive into a town just just outside of Lima to where we changed trucks from the smaller truck, which makes sense on the Peruvian roads because they're very tight, everything's narrow, into a larger tundra truck, which is wider wheelbase for going up in the mountains. Um, which also had a uh, rollover rack on the inside just because apparently that's a that's a thing in the mountains to roll over quite frequently. That's that's a good feeling too. Forgot about that actually yeah. until I was talking. Um, yeah. So we we transitioned there again. So six hours, we pounded up. Maybe we're at 700 feet elevation now. Over the course of the next four hours, we would go from 700 feet elevation up to 15.5,
3: Justin? Yeah, the highest was 15.6. Like up at that sign where you took the picture, yeah. it was 15
1: so fifteen six. so we're cruising up over well basically fifteen thousand feet elevation change in the course of three and a half hours everything yeah. that you're not supposed to do we just pounded that out so the reason being is there's nowhere to stay up in the mountains it's not like you can come and go angela had a family cabin that we stayed at that i think what was that at like eighty five hundred feet yeah that sounds right we came came back to that so we drive up into the mountains and and like you don't got to worry about the first 30 minutes you do that cuz you're still feeling good and and we start glassing and and see some eventually see some Andean geese that we go after and for me leading up to this like going to Peru Andean goose was like number 1 on my list like you've seen so many things about it they just they look awesome you're you're hunting a goose over 155 like the whole thing like that's that's what I what I the, my number 1 as I looked through this whole slam was was an Andean goose. And all of a sudden, the first one we see, we we spot. Well, as you watch the video, we had to do quite a bit of moving, a little bit of jogging, a light running, as I like to say. Well, now all of a sudden, you're at fifteen five, and when you start off, you're feeling good, you know. After you do that for thirty minutes, now the headache sets in, and you're like, "Ooh, man, that headache hurts." Well, we we proceeded to spend how many more hours up there? Four by the time four or five by the time we got out.
2: It felt like forever. I don't it know. felt like seven weeks, yeah, but
1: I think it was in reality no, because we ate up there too. It must have been seven or eight.
2: Yeah, we had the we had the the, the chicken bone soup. Well, as my dad said, <laughs> oh. they may call it
1: chicken, but a chicken doesn't have a bone like that in it. No,
3: it's not. <laughs> so I don't that's know. What what, I, I don't know what that that's was. What I, I had to give that back to the earth. On the way <laughs> so
1: <down. laughs> so 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 we go and and I think we get four. Yeah, we do. We get four of the six species in the mountains that day over, over that course. And, and Angelo said going into it, he goes, Hey, it's it, they're bur- there. All the species are up here and there there's a lot of them. So it wasn't like it was one of those things like, okay, we got into a lot of, a lot of shooting opportunities, shot pretty good, got four of the six and Angelo had it down to the Puna teal. He goes, there's one spot. And we looked at the thing and he's like, I think we can get there in time. There's usually a Puna teal on that water hindsight says maybe we shouldn't have pounded out and tried to do that on the first day because that Mm -hmm. added to us being up on the mountain a good three and a half hours so we get there it's too late it ended up being like an hour drive well now we got an hour drive back but everybody's hungry we're starting to get Mm -hmm. sick angela's like you gotta get these tea leaves and you gotta get something in your stomach so we stop in a in a Mountain village up there. We drove further
2: out of our way to go to this village. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I was blacked yeah, well, out at that time. I don't remember what was going on.
3: Come to find out, because he also needed gas. Oh, to yeah, get gas us up there the next day.
1: Gas is important. The old Petro is very yeah. important. So, they, oh, gas up there. Let's speak on that for a second. Gas they put in these barrels and truck up there because they can't bring the gas trucks up. So you're actually pumping out of like a 55 gallon barrel to get your gas. But anyway, we we cruise into this this families, I would call basement. It is a basement. It's their, it's their basement. We cruised in there and, and ate dinner of a miscellaneous chicken bone, not a chicken, some kind of soup there. Um, My stomach
2: started to turn again. Yeah. Well,
1: which at the time I'm like, man, this is like, I need food. I can tell that too. Give me as much water as you can. And it, it's starting to get pretty bad at this point. We get back in the truck, and, and I just keep watching my my Garmin watch on the elevation as we're going down, like 15,000. It seems like it's taken forever, 149 14, 14,857, or something like that. And it just keeps you like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. But at this yeah. point, like anybody that looks up altitude sickness, like there are various stages. So at one point, your brain actually starts to black out. Like you start to her down. And that was the point that I was hitting as we were driving down is – Holy smokes, I'm awake. No, so tired, so tired. And I'm out and I'm catching myself awake. (laughs) And during one of these things, and I just kept watching my watch going, we've got to get below 9,000 feet. We've got to get below 9,000 feet because you can start to feel better. And I think it was right around 12,000. Justin hit the point of we had to stop the car.
2: He, he tapped me on the shoulder. He's
3: like, he goes, Oh, ho!" Oh, oh. like, uh, what? Ooh. He goes, oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I think Justin's got to get out. <laughs> I just, I just, I quietly just hand Lee my camera off my lap. I, I go for the window in slow motion. And Lee goes, Do you need to stop? And I, I uh huh. <laughs> yep.
1: So, so we stop. Justin slides out and, and starts getting rid of the soup and whatever we had for breakfast that day. But I, the only regret I have is normally like we didn't get that on on, on film. Was, when, when we were in uh, Greenland, we got Gendorf throwing up over the side of the boat.
3: Yeah, and you guys, you guys don't ever miss a chance to to film me doing something stupid. No, so. no, that'd have been a good one. But
1: truthfully, at that point, it I think I nobody
3: spot. nobody was nobody was into it. Like, no, I, I like, I, I'm pretty I sure I blacked
1: it. out twice while you were outside, and I, I may have mentioned yeah. just leave him. To Angelo, as we <laughs>
3: <laughs> get me down. Keep driving,
2: just leave <laughs> him.
1: He'll be fine. We'll get him
2: tomorrow. And, yeah. and your little your little blackout moments that you're talking about is no joke too. It's like it's so weird to explain if someone's never experienced this, and this is my first time experiencing it. I've been at like fourteen thousand before, and I've kind of been fine because I've I've had it like slowly like I've slowly built up to fourteen. And the fact that we went to sea level to fifteen five, and like. We were riding down, and, like, I remember consciously thinking, like, I don't remember what happened the last, like, uh, fe- I felt like five minutes of my life. Like, I just, I'm yeah. pretty sure either I fell asleep or I completely passed out. Like, this was weird. And, like, you're, like, hungover. Your head is just pounding. And, like, I mean, you're, I mean, the only way to describe is is you're completely, like, blacking out for moments of time, and it's, it's weird. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was-
3: it's like that the moment like right when you fall asleep like you're kind of awake you you can still hear what's going on a little bit but like you're kind of starting to transition to that that passing out for the night fail. like I don't know it was
1: I didn't like the feeling put it that way <laughs> no, I, no I, I, like could, I could do without feeling that again so anyway, I'm glad I
2: experienced it but I'll never do that I want to do that again
1: yeah so we eventually no. got back down to the cabin at 8500 feet. And I started like feeling pretty good. The headache for me went away about an hour later. We had some, we had something to eat that night, slept really good. And then we woke up the next morning, Justin, Justin, how were excited were you to go back up the hill the next morning?
3: Oh, uh, I contemplated giving you, uh, there's, there's no two week notice, but I I (laughs) needed a ride home. So I couldn't quit right then.
1: I couldn't quit at the moment. Now my dad was with us. He woke up and said, Hey, I'm just going to stay here and get all the stuff ready for when we leave. You guys head up without me. I'm going to do some reading, which was probably a good call.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. And he was actually, he handled it better than everybody else the day before, too. Like, he, he was did. a trooper through that. Like, I was looking at him. He's like, oh, that chicken soup helped a lot. I'm like, I'm, looking, I'm like, ah, <laughs> uh, I'm like burping the chicken soup up right now. Thinking like this, this something's not right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just love Dan. Yeah, now that- he, he's like, they said it was chicken soup, but. I butchered a lot of chickens in my life. I've never seen a bone like that in a chicken.
2: <laughs> nope. back, like it's This is going to be gross, but I remember him pulling that bone <laughs> out of his mouth and I looked at it and I was like, oh my goodness. Like I, I, They told me to eat this and I trust the people that live up in this elevation. So I'm going to I'm going to put this down but I just don't want to know what this really is.
3: Now when your dad did that it reminded me of the people that eat chicken wings like they put the whole thing in their mouth and they just pull out a- <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I was like he loves this. Oh yeah. Oh, he <laughs> likes it. He likes the whole experience. <laughs> it's the whole experience.
1: So oh, so on that like what was your takeaway from Peru as a country? Never having been there, um never going back. Well, listen, listen, me. hey, 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 don't say that too early, because there are two species nope. of whitetail we gotta go after in Peru.
3: That sounds like an Aaron Blycey problem to me.
1: Aaron Blaise in Peru. Listen, yep. I think we all I think we all know how that's gonna go if he's gotta cruise up there at fourteen thousand feet. <laughs>
2: what does he call it? Like um, a wet biscuit. A wet biz- would be a thick wet biscuit Yep. Up there. <laughs> no yeah. uh, for uh, peru was like flying when we were flying in like you're you're going over the mountains and i'm like oh my goodness this is like because I, I i just personally love mountains i'm like this is gonna be the coolest trip ever and then you landed you get then <laughs> you landed i'm like huh not what i was expecting i'm kind of getting like an, an afghanistan vibe out of this right now like it was just when we landed at that little tiny airport i was like this is just not what i was expecting and like okay well we we talked to the or we google translated to the people at the airport and got got through um them I'm like okay they seem nice and then you know driving around it's there's no i feel like there's no politically correct way to put this but it's it's a much poorer country than i anticipated it being
1: it is a high level of poverty in there
2: high yeah. yes yep yes like you it's like it's an extreme version of Mexico, but that looks like, um, Afghanistan. Yeah.
1: yeah. And when, and when Lee says Afghanistan, that's a true statement of what it looked like because we flew into Trujillo and when we landed, it's extra it's a desert town of, man. And I looked up, it's got like a million and a half or 2 million people in it or something like that. It's the second largest or third largest city that there is in Peru. And I'd never even heard of it. And we landed in there and it's, it's the, it's very desert. It's very dirty. Um, high level of poverty. There's there's a lot of trash all over the place. And by the way, I'll just mention this. The reason those guys got really cheerful at the airport is because I realized what was going on. And, and this was a situation, uh, $20, $50, and a $100 bill got you through customs and security <laughs> extremely quick. So that was when the hassle of, man, I don't know if you're supposed to have that cameras. I'm going to need the serial numbers off these two. Hey, let's just load up these cases. Let's get these gringos into the taxis. These guys are good to go.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. But that's what, like, that, like, part for international travel for me, like, I love that, oh, not like the not like the bribing part, don't get me wrong, but I love the whole culture part of it, even if it's a country, like, and for me, like, I, I think when I thought Peru going into it, I thought Machu Picchu, like, green, high mountains, like, that's what I thought, and then you get to, well, Peru is a lot besides Just Machu Picchu, and having been there now and learning, it's really a desert area along the along the coast, which seems weird. Then there's the mountain area, and in um, on the on the east side of Peru, it's actually a jungle area, right? Like that's that's what you learn. And like I didn't, I didn't. Well, first of all, I didn't spend the time to to learn about Peru, not having planned to go there. But then once you get there, you just learn so much about a location.
2: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic,
4: an outdoor enthusiast,
2: or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself,
4: what is it you want? Discover
2: Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
0: Get ready for the greatest roast of all time the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
2: And I learned quickly that you need to bring your um, ID everywhere you go with you. (laughs)
1: It's go. <laughs> another good one. I forgot about that. So we were cruising on the on the coast to go hunting. Um and Justin Justin and I were riding with uh Angelo and Dad, so we had that truck full. So Lee speaking people. The English, the <laughs> English speaking people. So Lee being the adventurer hopped in with our bird boys. In what kind of car was that? It was hanging a little low. Didn't didn't have any <laughs> like- AC.
2: If they made Priuses back in the 80s, that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Broken down Prius, and Lee is riding shotgun. Well, in Peru, they have security checks. so Lots of them. <laughs> lots of lots of security checks for the car, so we, we cruise through just fine. Um, for some reason, Lee and the posse back there got, got stopped. <laughs> so, Lee, I'll let you take it from here.
2: Yeah, it was like, uh, well, we pulled up, and I'm like, and all of a sudden they start, uh, of course, everybody I'm riding with, zero English, like, zero english and so they start like you know talking back and forth and i see them like rolling their eyes and kind of grabbing their stuff i'm like okay like i feel like i know what they're doing they're just going to give them their um driver's license and we'll cruise through they start communicating back and forth Also, the guy kind of looks over at me and sees this blonde haired well used to be blonde you don't you, know, you don't
1: you don't look at lee and go look at that blonde hair. <laughs>
2: and they're like he, he's he's out of place right now so he comes thrown over to my side knocks on my window I hand crank the window down and he starts talking to me and i'm just like no comprende i got nothing i i am sorry i english english is all i got he keeps talking to me i'm like man i really have no idea what you're saying <laughs> and so finally he pulls out his phone he starts typing on it i'm like okay i wonder what's going on now and he pulls out google translate like literally shoves the phone into my ear not like he doesn't hand me his phone he takes his phone and shoves it into my ear and i hear um identification please through google translate I'm like okay I'm like reaching in my pocket i'm like okay definitely don't have it i'm like <laughs> i told him i go it might be in the back and so i put my backpack in the trunk because we had um, I think eight guys in a Prius, so there was no room for my backpack. <laughs> it was like a Prius wagon. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, uh, I I go to open the door to grab my um, identification out of the, the trunk, and he freaks out, slams the door, and just starts yelling at me. And of course, again, zero, no idea what he's saying. I just know that he's mad at me now. So this whole thing goes, goes about, and moral of the story is like first it went from and I, the whole time I know that he he right now, like if I slid him a $20 bill, we'd, we'd be on our way, (laughs) but I didn't have my wallet on me either. So I'm like, I'm just kind of playing dumb and saying it's at the hotel or it's in the back of the seat and he won't like Let me get out of the car. And so finally it goes from, are you paying the guys that you're with? I told him no. And then he goes, "Are you safe?"
4: Mm.
2: <laughs> and this is all through Google Translate on his phone. <laughs> my response is like, "I think so. If you let me through, I think I'm good." And so then, yeah, it was it was turned into a probably like a 25 minute debacle of us trying to communicate with each other, and finally they just let me go. And he and he told me from there on out to uh, to bring my identification with me.
1: And this was this was the one that was leading up. I think the 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 Prius wagon got stuck on this day, right? Was this? Yes, where, it this was. Yeah, it was, was like, like thirty in?
2: minutes after that we buried her in the in the dune. So, so <laughs> in the d-
1: all I remember about this is okay. So the 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 Prius wagon with eight guys gets buried <laughs> into the dune. So so Angelo comes with. I didn't see the strap hook up. <laughs> I just
4: remember that.
1: The, so the straps hooked up, and it, on the first attempt, the strap came unhooked, or oh, it was the rope. It was a rope. It was so was a tie, rope. A tied rope came untied. <laughs> and the, the 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 larger guy that always wore those short red shorts was yep. standing there and took that rope right across the shins. <laughs> right down he went. Yep. And he was like,
2: it was like borderline like grown man crying. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I
1: learned at an early age whenever there's a strap hookup to stand off to a distance, that guy's like, I'm just going to take it in. I'm going to stand right next to this and see what happens.
3: And he was he, he was standing on the tailgate.
4: He was like, standing oh, on the tailgate, wasn't he? Was he standing was standing right on
3: top of the rope that came unhooked <laughs> from the car. So, like, it just whipped back at him as hard as that truck was pulling on it and just slapped him right in the shin. Indiana Jones whipped <laughs> he's, right he's, across yeah. the shin.
2: Oh, it was that was – Bad. He, he rolled around on the ground for a while after that while his, while
3: his buddies were laughing at him. <laughs> Wearing his, his sandals, his Fila sandals, whatever they were.
1: <laughs> All I know is the first thing, as soon as that guy got in the water, the red shorts were there and the shirt came off. And then he was just living. he was living his best life.
3: <laughs> he didn't want to get his shirt wet. <laughs> no, no. Again, there's lots of this guy in those episodes. There is there's lots of it.
1: this guy. You see him in the side all the time. Yeah. All right. So that was the that was the feel on Peru. Now what was Argentina like for you?
3: Uh, man, it was like for me, it was just the end of the day, how much wine is Mark gonna make me drink tonight? Is Mark get, gonna yep.
1: make you drink?
3: That yeah, then get me up at four o'clock in the morning. Listen
1: here. I thought you could handle some wine.
3: oh I think I, I think I do all right. It's just I gotta gotta get there, you know,
2: and get there. Uh, Argentina. I love Argentina. That's be, actually probably one of my favorite international uh, trips now, because like coming off like the most incredible big game hunt that we did there, and then go to the place that we did um, for the birds. Like, I mean, you just get treated so nicely. Everybody is like extremely nice. The view it's pretty well
4: uh, what view are we, we talking were, about?
2: It was pretty flat. Um where we were duck hunting. I would say that was pretty flat, but it's still like it's it's got like a South Dakota prettiness to it.
1: It is. You hit that. Yeah. Where, where we duck hunted, it was and Matt Gindorf said this it's it's think the the pothole region of the Dakotas. Yeah. And he kn- yeah. I mean he nailed it right on the head. That's I felt like I was hunting in the Dakotas
2: yeah so like you know people that are driving through south dakota they're like that just want to get through it. they're looking around and say this is ugly but you know when you s- sit there and you, you look at it, like oh. oh it it it's unique I, I
3: liked it a lot yeah it was i think you're right lee like probably one of the coolest and most memorable international trips like argentina as a whole because we did we did big game we did patagonia we did waterfowl um Just, it's so diverse as far as opportunity for all kinds of hunting. It was, lodging was top notch everywhere we went. Food was incredible. People were so nice. I mean, so much food. So much food. And that's one of the things that stood out to me about Argentina was like how, how rooted they are in their culture, even around hunting still. Like the U.S. has lost a lot of that, I think. But Argentina is still really connected to that, almost in a way like that Europeans are, as far as how they honor their game and, you know, the process of a hunt and Mm -hmm. it was just really cool to, to be part of. Yeah. No, I, I'd agree with that as, as well
1: as we like one of the, one of the, the questions I'm going through the sheet of other questions we've, we've got here. And I, this is kind of a unique one. Like, I don't even know where this question would come from, but it was, how did you decide with, on how many digital episodes to come out with from these trips?
3: Yeah, that's a good question.
1: It it actually is. Like I looked at that and I'm like, "Hmm, that is a good question.
3: I don't know. Let's ask. <laughs> yeah. Um so as far as digital goes, um, you know, we don't have any timeline or any 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 uh what's the word I'm looking for here? There's no restrictions. We can make the episode as, as long or as short as we wanted to. Yep. And you know, we could have played everything out to where it was like one species per episode, but just the way that the way that the the birds were killed, like there's no way to do that. Because we're not shooting one, recovering it; shooting one, recovering it. It's, mm-hmm. you know, shoot shoot for two hours and recover thirty birds. What do we get? Okay, yeah. So that's obviously out of the question. But uh, for this one, it, it broke down similar to the way that uh, North American did, and it was it was more by. Well, I guess that's that's false. North America was by location. Like each each location was a different episode. Yep. In this one, it was more like I tried to do it day by day. So if you watch there's only three episodes that are comprised of two full hunt days. So you've got four full hunts in those three episodes. And, um, that jump we made to, uh, to Patrick's to get the Brazilian teal that made for a really nice standalone. Uh, I'm sorry, that's actually in, so that was still same day, but that, Mm -hmm. that travel sequence made for a really cool piece of that, um, and I guess I guess to answer the question, there wasn't ever like a we've got to get eight episodes. We need to get ten episodes. It was just look at what was shot. How did it play out? You know, and just figure out what what works best as far as laying out the episodes on a week to week basis. You we know that that's what we're kind of like.
2: That's one of the, the struggles. Of, you know, when we were producing these down there. You know, you and I were talking a lot of okay. This is what we did today. Where would if we wanted to make an episode out of this what would we need to get to wrap up a good episode and do we have enough to make a full episode and then like we would talk after i would say each hunt and say okay this hunt, i think we we got a full episode out of this tomorrow when we go hunting tomorrow morning we're planning on this starting a new episode so it was like i don't think we went into it thinking we have to have this many episodes it was kind of as things were happening we were like, okay, we just we got a lot of content right now. It was a good shoot, got a lot of beautiful shots. Um, I think this would make a really good episode. Let's plan on ending it here, and then tomorrow morning we're planning on opening up a new episode.
3: Yep, and that was. I think I think like even in our some of our meetings, like before this whole thing started, before we hit the road, that was one thing like that we we really knew we had to be cognizant of was where to stop one and start the next one like knowing where those breaks were going to be episodically Mm -hmm. but we just didn't know how the hunt would play out so like you kind of got to look for that in the in the hunt in the moment and know like this this is where it is and stop and start and i mean mark you've asked a lot before like you know what's the difference between a, a producer and a cameraman i think stuff like that is a good example of of where that line is
1: yeah, I'd agree with that, and I always give Justin a hard time because anytime somebody refers to him as a cameraman, his, his seven hairs on his head bristle up a little bit, and you can tell he gets a little mad. So that's why I like giving him a hard time. But no, it's it's one of those things like you, like this this was produced extremely well. And for everybody that's listening there, Justin mentioned this earlier. So besides the digital ones, we'll also have a waterfall film coming out for South America, just like we did the North America one, which will have a different feel. It'll take everything together. We'll lose some of the, some of the stuff that was in the digital that was either funny or, or educational and and put it together in that film, which will turn out great. That'll come later this year. Um, Then I always get like, like on these, what's next? Like I always, always get a lot of that questions. What's like, I I just looking at Instagram this morning, like one of those things, when I first wake up, it's wake the kids up, drink my cup of coffee, sit there and look through the Instagram comments or respond back. And I don't know how many I got today. Are you going to do Europe? When are you going to Asia? What are you, what are you doing? What's next? So let's, let's end this with, with what's next. So we're planning two different, um, well, actually I guess I, I stand corrected they're actually three so if you look at the slams that are going on um we're we're pretty we're two weeks away from releasing our first deer slam video so not on the wing shooting one which originally started these crazy slam ideas um but they're going we we put a a, a list together of north america Deer slam and there are 31 species on there. So we've got some different podcasts coming. We've got a bunch of videos. We've got, we got articles and everything coming for these, but look forward to that one. That'll be like, if you look at the markets, the, the deer hunting markets, obviously the largest of any market that there are of hunters in, in North America. There's never been a project done like this before to where you put 31 deer species together in, in a single one, kind of like as you, as you break apart these waterfall ones, how do you come up with 31 deer species? Well, for me, what I did is I took SCI, I took Boone and Crockett, I took uh, um, all the different subspecies of whitetail that you can do and and came up with 31. So they're... Desert mule deer, um, Rocky Mountain mule deer, there's sandbar in California, there, and then all of a sudden, there's Seminole whitetail, um, southeastern whitetail, Midwest whitetail, plains whitetail. Like you start going over all these ones, and and eventually come up with a list of 31. And I was like, dang, I did yeah. not expect there to be 31. Um, the yeah, difference a lot that is a lot, is a lot of deer. Um, the difference on this one is obviously it's not going to be done over a single season. Um, I'm happily married and, and have kids. I, I, I don't think I could do it over a single season anyway, but there would be a lot of time on the, on the road. Um, but we have started filming these and I will admit, like, it's been pretty cool to see the differences of location on how you hunt in different areas and how the deer act and behave in the different areas, even if you're just looking at whitetail in, in the U S hunting in Kansas, early season, hunting in Kentucky, hunting in Texas, hunting in Michigan, like just those, as you kind of break apart the subspecies, but really like even hunting in the jungle for brocket deer, cause they're two species of brocket deer. We are just staring at the old calendar here. We're, we're less than, um, man, we're less than a week away from heading to the Gulf coast of Mexico, to hunt the, the Mexican Gulf coast deer. Well, that's semi jungle. There's only a handful of tags a year and you're looking for a deer that basically branches at the antler. So what does that mean? It's not a spike. It may branch into a four point, like a giant down there is a six point, but there's only a handful of them. Like how did that white tailed deer adapt to live in that area? Like I, that, like there are all those stories that, that come out of it. So make sure to make sure to look for that one. We'll, we're planning to release blocks of videos at a time on the deer slam, generally focusing on the, on the fall when, when everybody's in the woods and, and deer hunting, but those will literally be deer species from Alaska on the blacktail all the way down to central Mexico so yep, we're, we're,
3: that first one that first one gets released uh october 26th
1: october 26th so, so right after this podcast goes live that one that one goes yep. up
3: same same cadence as everything else digitally every wednesday
1: yep that'll be and that'll be a good one again as always like you guys start watching those love the comments love the feedback um now back to like what how how i look at these slams like the ones that are done in a single season like the like that aspect of it Um, there are two that I'm, I'm currently planning out and working on right now. And for 2023, the, the waterfall project is going to be New Zealand. We're going to go to New Zealand and and go after all the waterfall and all of the, um, upland in New Zealand, all on the same trip. So like that, that'll be a fun one. Like I'm looking forward to that. I've hunted New Zealand, but man, it's, it's trying to think it's, it's been nine years since I've been in New Zealand. So that'll be a fun one to capture. We'll, we'll spend a couple of different trips there, but they've got some awesome ones. They've got black swans there, which are, which are sweet. And then they also have got a mallard and a Canadian goose, but they've also got paradise, which is, which is different. Um, they've got a few different quail species. They've got pheasants, they've got a Merriam Turkey of all things. I know a lot of people know that their turkeys there, but they've got Merriam Turkey, which will be pretty sweet. Um, so I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to that one a lot. The other one that that I'm in the works on and, and planning. I don't know if I'll be able to do them both in the in the same year. Probably not. So this will be a 2024 project. But it's going back to South America and doing the upland portion of it. Um, right now we've got a list that's that's 34 species long. Um, going through the the research on what species are still huntable, which countries allow it um, where we can go, but that I can tell you right now, that's going to be a fun one. Cause we're going to be in Uruguay. We're going to be in Bolivia, Argentina, um, Chile. There's going to be a lot of spots. And, and I list those countries off. I've never been to Bolivia, Uruguay, Chile. Like these are all, all spots. That'll be brand new for me, brand new experiences that we look at going and doing that one. That'll be the South America upland slam. Um, again, a lot of doves, but a lot of tinamou which like are, are upland compared to almost a quail slash chucker is as weird as that is um looking forward to that one but like if i lay out the future i get a question are you going to europe yes absolutely we are going to do the european slam are you going to africa yes absolutely we're going to do the african slam we've already already starting to lay that one out right now because that one will take a few years just to get everything laid out on how we do our our uh, moving back and forth to hunting areas and and blocks of timing and so forth um asia Are we going to do the Asian waterfall slam and upland slam? Yes, we will eventually do the Asian waterfall slam and and upland slam. We're starting to work on that one right now. The cool part is as people have seen these slams happen in different areas of the world, they want them done there too. The outfitters, the hunters there want it done because it highlights, I think, at a, at a higher level, um, what the opportunities are there. So if you're in Asia and you're an outfitter in Asia or hunt there, like how many waterfall hunters in North America think about going to Asia to hunt? Waterfall. Ducks. Nobody. Probably
3: just you. Yeah, probably probably just me.
1: Justin, sitting here going, gosh, dang it. Maybe I'll go to Peru on the whitetail hunt. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was just thinking when he when he said uh
3: South America, I am like, gosh, I hope there's not a, a bird in Peru again. <laughs> there may I don't be know, we saw we saw some kind of upland bird up there it was, it, at 15,
1: it was, feet. It was the tenemu that was up there but i do believe that there are other locations that we may be able to get that same <laughs> that same species and and, right. and combine yeah. some so we don't have to go back there but listen maybe bird. maybe we'll just hop on the plane you won't even know where we're going and all of a sudden bang you're back into peru <laughs> yeah but like but like I, I say that so hunting in asia for waterfall mongolia has awesome waterfall hunting it's just, it's unknown. It's undocumented. There, there hasn't been any videos on it. So I look forward to going in there and, and being one of the first people to do that. Just highlight those different species, the people, the areas, and all that stuff. Um, yeah. So I guess to, to, to end this and, and the most common question, what's up next? We've got New Zealand on the docket for next year. Um, we've got South America upland coming in hot. We're going to have, uh, we're going to break Africa up into two. We're going to do waterfall on one go, and then we're going to do Upland on one go. Um, those will both both be awesome. Again, never been done, never been documented. Um, Justin and Lee, I know you guys like doing stuff for the first time just as much as I do. I'm looking forward to those.
2: Yeah. I mean, you hit, yeah. it, hit the nail on the head. I, I just like seeing how different every area is. Like going into South America, for example, I had no idea what was to expect, and, you know, af- after the whole thing, I'm like, that was really cool. Now let's see what see what see
3: this how this place does it. Yep. Yep. That's and that was I think that transfers across any kind of hunt you do, like not just you, but that was like one of my biggest takeaways from the North American slam was yes, I've I've heard of a lot of these different birds, a lot of these, you know, hunting in different states, but like how you hunt certain birds or how you hunt certain big game animals, like and then throw in the cultural factors and it's just cool to see all that stuff and and how how different it is in different places of the world.
1: Well, you guys are like this literally as we're sitting here. I just got an email from Argentina as we were starting to lay out the the upland ones. so I know you guys like Argentina. we're gonna be locked in there a little bit because we will travel to eight different provinces in Argentina oh, wow. to go after upland wow. birds wow yeah that'll that'll be crazy. I mean, think about that eight different locations in Argentina will go I'm gonna go in at a buck eighty I'm gonna leave at two forty we'll be yeah <laughs> i'll be a borderline alcoholic hooked on hooked on the old back <laughs> by the time we get out it'll be great yep
2: oh. uh yeah we didn't even get into how much traveling we did around in peru how much driving
1: so many hours in a car in so, a many truck. so many hours in a, in a prius well you yeah. were in a prius <laughs> i was in a truck
3: i think we came up with somewhere around 60 hours in five days or seven days
1: yeah Seven seven days, sixty hours. So you're basically averaging what is that? Eight hours a day in a in a Eight shark. hours
3: a day. Just and then, you.
1: And then by the time you figure out hunting time, eating, and we didn't sleep very much for seven days. No, no, I do remember that. Now we didn't sleep very much either. <laughs> no, no. All right, thanks guys. That was a great recap. I'm looking forward to going back to Argentina. I'll trick Justin to going back into Peru.
2: <laughs> good luck.
1: Yeah. All right. Yep. You guys have good luck in the woods, Justin. You're gonna slip out with the old muzzleloader out the back door.
2: I'm gonna try to. Yeah. I can see it's loaded behind
3: you. Yeah. You're, you're not supposed to have by the, it sitting. It's up by the front door from coming in last night. <laughs> Come I, in. I believe. I don't know. I never knew this. My, I've known my wife for 20 years, married for six, and she's never shot a white buck. So she's she's up first. What? But yeah. Yeah. I I know. I don't. I never knew that. We. I just learned this. On the drive home from Montana.
1: So, what? How do? You, well, first of all, how do you not <laughs> you know that? Because you guys hunt together.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. That's just. She's she's uh, she was raised to not eat the antlers, so she's might as well shoot a doe. She's not. She's never been a buck hunter, so.
1: But didn't she live in Texas for how many
0: years?
3: Yeah, uh, I don't know her whole life up until about twelve years ago. So. Trying yeah. to break that cycle, get her a first. And she had one last night, and she passed it because it was only a two-year-old. She's not shooting one just to shoot oh. it. so... Hmm. Hmm. i hope you feel A good lady. about
1: yourself justin you're shooting, all these, you're shooting all these deer and your wife's just sitting there shooting does listen i just
3: <laughs> i shoot at them oh i get lucky <laughs> ones
1: <laughs> justin likes to wing at things he likes to he likes to send it yeah when there's lead in the air there's hope
3: exactly yeah
1: yep all right guys we'll talk to you later
3: thanks mark yep. all right thanks Bye.
1: Thank you everyone out there for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.